How often grief has he not brought us relief? Just one phrase among many in that glorious hymn that reminds us of God's truth in song. Thank you. Praise God. Second Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. God has given us so much to be thankful for. As we've been journeying through the second letter to the Corinthians, he certainly allowed us to be thankful for this chapter, which lends itself completely to understanding how grace underpins and develops maintenances, restores Christian relationship. And we've been considering a number of virtues in this text. And I was asking someone, should I just break off and do a separate text for the holiday this week? And they said, no, pastor, just keep plugging through. Just keep plugging through. So I took their advice. We're going to keep plugging through. And uh, we're going to learn three more virtues this morning, three final virtues in this passage that teach us their characteristics, really, of Christian relationship. And trust your hearts are encouraged as we continue to move through the passage. So let's read the verses that we're going to be studying today, and that's going to begin in verse 12. We'll go to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12, So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender. Remember, the offender here is the religious one, the religious leader of a band of irreligious or unbelieving people that had crept into the Corinthian church. Paul says here, I'm not writing to you for the sake of them, nor for the sake of the one offended. That's him. That's Paul. He's been the one that the Corinthians have been taken from. The relationship had been severed. But that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. So again, we've been studying various virtues that maintenance, Christian relationship. And obviously, for those of you that have been with us through this study, there's been a relationship that's been restored. This is the Corinthian people with the Apostle Paul. The division was caused by unbelief. His first letter was because of their own carnality. His second, not recorded in Scripture letter, that severe letter addressed this unbelief led by this one person that had caused them to be divided in their relationship with the Apostle Paul, but we know through this letter that that relationship's been restored. And now Paul, through chapter 7, is just highlighting these virtues that help us maintenance these Christian relationships. And we've looked at loyalty. What is spiritual loyalty? We've looked at re, um, repentance. What is biblical repentance after salvation that always gives birth, this godly sorrow that's necessary at times for Christian relationships to experience so that they can know restoration. And then holiness, holiness last week. And you remember we saw that holiness at the end of verse 11. 
in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. We notice that root word for innocent there is where we get our English word holy. You've separated yourselves from not only the carnality, but also the division that this person of unbelief, that his little band of followers had caused in the, in the, in the division. Uh, you've proved yourself to be separate from that. And we've been restored. And now he moves on to three more. The first is devotion. The virtue of devotion. And the second is refreshment. And the third is courage. All within the context here. Devotion, refreshment, and encourage. And we're going to see exactly how Paul lays out before us those three. The last three words of verse 12 is where we get our first virtue. Sight of God. The sight of God. Again, if you noticed with me earlier that the individuals Paul identifies here involved in the situation there's lots of people, right? There's the Corinthians, there's, the, there's Titus, the deliverer of the message, the intermediary, if you would. Uh, there's the unbelieving person, there's the unbelieving remnant, and then that caused the division, and then there's Paul. And Paul says here that it's really not about the unbelieving person, it's not about the person offended him, it's about his love for the Corinthian people to make sure that they are right with who first? In the sight of God. Their primary devotion must be to God before they're going to be right with man. So he removes himself and the offender, the offended and the offender, and he, and he focused their attention here on what the fruits and what the reality of true divine devotion is. In the sight of God means something. It first must be positional and then it must be practical. Remember last week we said, hey, one of the best ways to figure out how to maintenance our relationships with one another is uh, you know, identity, assumed growth, and humanity. Do you remember that? We used to call it faith fact and feeling here. Our identity's first in Christ. And since we're in Christ, we can assume what? Help me out here. We can assume growth. And if we can sit down and base our relationships and the development of our relationships, even the restoration of our relationships based on those two things first, then we're going to have a reasonable conversation about someone or each other's humanity. Right. How do we develop our humanity in Christ-likeness? And so Paul says here, look, it's not about the sake of the offender or the offended. But he says here, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. We saw that word last week in verse 11, didn't we? In the first line of verse 11, earnestness. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. So if we go back to last week and we look at that, what, what that word earnestness is, it means to have a serious purpose to be eager, to be seriously seeking righteousness and holiness in the matter of reconciliation. So Paul's really saying here, your earnestness, right, what God's grace has compelled you to do is to be right with God and the way you're going to be right with God in relationship to reconciling a relationship or the way you are right with God in the reconciliation of this relationship is that you have seen me again first as identified with Jesus Christ. 
You've assumed in my life, Paul's saying, spiritual growth. And then my humanity. And what you've decided to do with one another in relationship to me is to do the same thing. You've realized that you are in Christ and that unbelief that is more performance-based. Unbelief is always performance-based. It's always looking at how someone can outdo somebody else or how someone's failures define them or how someone's successes define them. That's what I believe. You set that aside. It's not about the offender. Right? But in the sight of God, you've chosen to see one another in Christ. You've chosen to assume growth in Christ. And, and now in the sight of God, you've, you've sought to be restored. Paul's goal in this whole situation had been attained now. He was able to be used of the Lord in this severe letter again to see the people reunited in devotion to God as a result to one another. And the process was hard, but is actually quite simple. They had been reminded of the virtues of spiritual loyalty, of repentance, of purity, and now they're reminded more completely of the nature and the practice of devotion. Paul knew that until they understood, by way of reminder, how they stood in the sight of God, there would only remain a facade of reconciliation. And Christians can only fake reconciliation for so long. I was talking to a deacon in our church last week about last, this past week about last Sunday's sermon. We're discussing how it can be the tendency for some believers just to feign fellowship, to fake it to fake relationship. And there's some who just don't fake it. They just don't live reconciliation. And they don't love fellowship. And they kind of grow proud of it. And they become known for it. The deacon stopped and said, So pastor, how long do you think these Christians are going to keep this charade going when they get to heaven? Hmm, interesting comment. In the sight of God, how long you're going to think they're going to keep that charade going? Well, folks, really, we don't have to wait to get to heaven to be reconciled in the sight of God. Right? You don't have to live a charade. You can live restoration. You can live relationship healing if you're going to do it with a positional approach first. The way you offended me, the way I have been offended, right? The focus is not there first. You can only deal with the offense in either party if you're first going to see each other in Christ. That's how you're viewed in the sight of God. Can we get that? Can we wrap our minds and hearts around that? That's the only way we find our way back to reconciliation. Because sometimes offenses can be so offensive, right? We get distracted by the nature of the offense. And then we begin to judge one another based on the failure. And God in Christ, the moment you're born again, never judges you that way anymore. So why are we going to judge each other that way anymore? Remember, God doesn't love you anymore when you have a good day. He doesn't love you any less when you have a bad day. He just loves you. Why? Because you are in Christ. In Christ. Jesus said it's inevitable that offenses are going to come. We can't stop that. We're all living in some fallen bodies. <laughs> the grace of God in Christ compels us to be right in the sight of God and we do this first by making sure we race to identify one another in Christ and then I can 
assume growth. It's really interesting in these final three virtues, you're going to see all three at practical aspects of identity, assumed growth, and humanity. How spirit-filled humanity functions as we apply these three things as we go along. I believe the, the text demands that Christians view each other as they say they are, as Christians first. This is what Paul is saying here. Those who are in Christ by the exclusive grace of God, those who walk in faith by the same grace, it's all grace because it's all of Christ. And in the sight of God is all of grace. It's the grace that compels us to be reminded of who we are before God in Christ. And it's the unmerited favor from heaven that thrusts us into a right relationship with each other because of the unity of the Spirit that's been produced by the Spirit that we're to maintenance. It's a large group of pastors in Germany, a little over 400 pastors. I spoke to one of those men that's part of this group two weeks ago, and they had experienced in the last year a split among those 400 like-minded gospel-preaching churches. It was quite ugly, I guess. I'm scheduled to go speak to that church. I was this fall, but because of the nature of this last year, it's been postponed to 2022. So this pastor from Germany was just calling me, telling me, hey, you might want to be aware that when you do finally get here, this is what's been happening. And so there's nothing new under the sun, right? Some young guy comes out of seminary Right, all excited about his theology. And he contests the theological matter with the older pastors in the group. One older man takes the lead with an attitude and one younger pastor does the same thing. Right? So two leaders emerge out of both sides and they go to war with each other. The older pastor even writes a book. <laughs> right? And the whole book is against the younger crew. Right? The inevitable result? Division. Unnecessary division. Now, I know that this isn't an apples and apples illustration of what was going on in, in Corinth because the division was the offender was actually an unbeliever. But the way to reconciliation in this particular matter among this group of pastors in Germany was that I believe in the sight of God. The pastor on the other end of the line was saying this is what happened, but this is what recently happened with those two men. They got together with some witnesses <laughs> and they had a conversation and they said, guys, the things that you're arguing over should not divide us because you are both in the sight of God in Christ. You're both pastors, doesn't matter of your age, and you're growing. You've allowed your humanity <laughs> to flip the scenario. You've allowed your humanity to be considered first, and then you're assuming neither one of you are growing, and now you're both doubting each other's gospel and salvation experience. How crazy can this get, and how fast? Right? Well, Satan is the author of confusion and division, right? But this old man, the Spirit of God, older pastors, the Spirit of God got to hold his heart. And remember what I said a couple weeks ago when there's two immovable Christians, someone has to step out and what? Love. One of them does. He stepped out and he said, I'm going to take my book out of print, I'm going to throw it away. And he said, we're going to get back to fellowship. We're going to get back to relationship. Because, yeah, we're, we're in Christ. We preach the same gospel, right? We're going to enjoy growth together. And then our humanity will have the proper response in relationship to those two. And so they did. And this other pastor is another end of the line. He goes, this is a recent restoration. 
we're all happy for it and we'll see how it goes. But as God's Spirit's governing that situation, I'm sure it will go well. I said, could you imagine what 32,000 believers in proper relationship with one another could do to turn a country upside down for Jesus Christ? 400 churches, the average population or attendance in those churches is 80 people each. What could God do? What could God do? So pray hard, strive hard, fight hard for this restoration. I would say that this older pastor stepped out with proper devotion to God. In the sight of God, he needed to make this right. And that was produced by grace in his life. And that younger pastor responded with proper devotion as well, developed by grace in his life. They began seeing one another in the sight of God. They began seeing one another as God sees them in Christ and then devotion to God and then to one another. It united them in cause again. And Paul says here in verse 13, for this reason we have been comforted. Paul's heart is living a reality in his relationship he previously had with the Corinthians now, one of close-knit fellowship. And imagine that. This is what it took, a renewed devotion. Is this is what you need right now. Do you need to be in the sight of God right with another believer, even in our own church? If there was ever an irreconcilable difference between Paul and the Corinthians, it would have been the Corinthians' deep, deep carnality which compelled his writing of his first letter. If that division could be made even wider to the point of irreconciliation, it would have been the cause for his severe letter, his second letter, which was dealing with how unbelief had sought them to bring them even farther apart. My friends, I don't know of anything in my 30 years of full-time and 35 years of added part-time ministry, I don't know of anything that I've experienced that was worse than what Paul experienced with the Corinthian people that compelled his first letter or his severe letter. And yet Christians fall like flies out of relationships with one another over things much less severe. I remember when I was a kid, we used to, uh, my, we lived next door, well, it's a field now, but there used to be a house there. My dad used to take us over, we didn't have a lot of money, so um, he would, back then, I don't know if you remember, like McDonald's would have 19 cent cheeseburger nights back in the late 70s, early 80s. And so that was like, we struck gold, right? It's a growing boy and my dad said unlimited 19 cent cheeseburgers for you boys. And um, that was totally God's will. You know what I mean? That was, this was. So, so I, I mean, the 10, 15 cheeseburgers per person, bring it on. And he would, I mean, we'd get a, we would get our own bag of cheeseburgers. Then he would drive us over to Lost Nation Airport and we'd sit at the end of the airport and it was much busier back then. And um, we would watch pilots in training, right? They would, they would come in and what would they do in training? Touch and go. Land, touch and go. And it was just amazing to me. I still love to sit at the end of airport runways and watch planes land and, and watch them take off. I know it's just fascinating to me. But I was reading about this, and what, what Paul's describing here, grace is developing in the area of rest, reconciliation and restoration is the antithesis of Christians in touch-and-go relationships with each other. Christians who are in touch-and-go relationships with each other aren't understanding what it means to live devoted lives in the sight of God. They're not allowing God's grace to operate 
to reconciliation and what divides them and their touch and go relationships are just really touchy things. When you compare it to, again, what Paul had experienced with the Corinthian church. Like he's saying here, if God can save your personal soul in Christ and you know how bad you were (laughs) and you would be without Christ, then certainly after salvation, there's nothing God's grace can't cover in the area of reconciliation. And he's saying, you did it. Praise God, we're restored. See, God's grace is that powerful. I told you. In the sight of God, it's done. So I will tell you on the authority of God's word and your position in Christ, and I'm assuming you're growing, that there is no irreconcilable difference between anyone in this church ever. None. If the word of God's upheld, the doctrine of God is, that's our background bone, right? And we're not going in unbelief or any kind of threat of compromise. There's nothing God's grace can't heal. In human relationship. I told you a couple weeks back, there's one human relationship where there can be irreconcilable differences. And we talked about that in 1 Corinthians 7 and Matthew 19. But outside that, this is how we operate. I've gone through this for years. I was one, right? I went to church where my parents went to church like he was the pastor like I had to for a while right and then I come to work here and I have to still keep going to church with my parents and then he's my not my parent he's my boss for 15 years right do you think that Satan ever wanted to destroy that relationship I mean, think about it. I mean, really, I'm not playing a fiddle, but do you think Satan ever had his crosshairs on my relationship with me and my parents? From birth, let alone staff, let alone gospel work together. Of course he did. His crosshairs were on our relationship until my dad breathed his last breath. You could sense it. You knew it. How many other kids have grown up in church here who's continue to go to church here and their parents and extended family still go to church here and, and, and how many times do families have issues? Like all the time. How is that maintenanced? Well, when you come on this property and you gather together as a body, when my folks would sit up here, that wasn't mom and dad, that was Bob in Christ and that was Judy in Christ. The spiritual trumps the biological in that moment. Because if it doesn't, there's no way, I'm assuming they're growing, and there's no way I'm going to deal with the human issues we were having. Does that make sense? It's like, right away, that's Bob in Christ, so I know he's growing. He does the same with Tim in Christ, so I know he's growing. And so we always know we're going to be struggling. But the grace of God compels us to do what? Have a talk and assume, assume restoration, no matter what. And that was day by day, 24-7, 365 maintenance of that, in the sight of God. So you don't get a special pass if your family member goes to church here and you're not right with them. The back door doesn't become more easily open for you to go find greener pastures somewhere else. They might be greener in your mind, but you still got to mow it. Right? No. Identity, growth, humanity. In the sight of God. This is how he loves you. And this is how we choose to relentlessly love each other. Devotion. Devotion to God first. Devotion to his people second. 
It led to what? Comfort. Check out the grammar of the phrase, we have been comforted on your own time. Some of you may have your Greek texts and your Bible open. Look at it. You know what it is. That's sustained comfort. That's sustainable comfort. It's not comfort that comes from man. It's comfort that comes from God. It's the comfort of the Spirit of God. It's the comfort of the advocacy of the Son of God before the throne who pleads his righteous cause on our behalf as 1 John 2, 1 through 3 teaches. It's the internal comfort of the indwelling Spirit of God that is ours. And we continue to be comforted. Refreshment. Right? He says here, second part of verse 13, and besides our comfort, we rejoiced even more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Refreshment. Now, I'm going to tell you what the word refresh. If you take this Greek word and kind of look how it's used in the Bible, what it simply means is to stop and sleep, right? Or to stop and enjoy a deep, deep rest. I was talking to a mom outside the nursery this morning. I said, hey, what's on your plans today? And she said, book and sleep. I'm going to read and I'm going to sleep. And it sounded like they had plans or dad had made plans to clear the kids away and let mom be alone just I'm done. This is how we're going to celebrate today. I'm going to, I'm going to read myself to sleep. I'm going to sleep as long as I doggone want to sleep. <laughs> I say, well, it sounds like the Lord's day, right? They have, they have change of pace, change of focus. And apparently she was really looking forward to that. She was very, very excited. Well, that's what refreshment means. It means to stop and enjoy rest. This is used when Jesus took himself away from the fury of ministry and he went up into a mountain to stop this is what the same thing word is used when he took his disciples to do the same he just stopped and found a quiet place and said rest here for a while it's the same word but Titus has been refreshed I find this fascinating you see when repentance verse 11 well well repentance and the pursuit of holiness when that takes place there's this relentless desire for God's people to be right with each other and there's a layer to this right there's another aspect there's a blessed aspect to this is is I know I'm right with you I even want the people in between us to make sure that we know we're right with each other and I want their heart to be blessed by knowing that I want their heart you see it's a great thing it's, it's an amazing practical truth here is when there's two Christians that aren't at rest with each other sometimes they think it's all about them and Paul says no it's not about the offender or the offended we already saw it. it's about what is it like in the sight of God but boy when they do get right with each other all of a sudden it's about them Titus the person that's not involved with the separation at all there's an anxiety, there's an angst, there's a discomfort, there's a restlessness of soul that the body goes through when there's two people in the body that aren't right with each other. And sometimes they don't even have to know what the specific issue is. If they just know there's a division, that causes unrest. Do you understand what I'm saying? But boy, when those two people get right, everyone stops and takes a rest. When there's division in the body, it burdens the whole body. Not just the people involved. Right? But I want to see, I want to see the, the source. There's a, there's a nature, if I can say that. There's a nature to this refreshment. You maybe have noticed that when we read through these verses earlier, and some of you read through these texts during the week before we preach on them and so forth, you're studying along with me in your own commentaries. And if you did that, you may have noticed that there's really a foundation to this refreshment. There's something happening here spiritually, organically, in the mind of someone who's devoted to God, right? And enjoying this refreshment, and the whole body is now, as well as individuals. 
Look at verse 14. For if anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. What's he boasting about? But as we spoke all things to you, in what? Underline the word truth. In truth. It's powerful. So also our boasting before Titus proved to be, underline truth. His affection abounds all the more towards you as he remembers the, underline the word obedience, of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling. What happens, what's a virtue of relationship sustaining or development or restoration? It's refreshment. You're at rest. You're, you're at rest. You're at peace. You're able to stop and smell the spiritual roses. Why? Because everyone's life is again back and living based on truth and not the flurry of emotions, not the flurry of unbelief. And the, and, the, and the winds, the furious winds of unbelief that destroy human relationship and gospel cause in a church. It's truth. It's obedience to that truth that devoted people embrace to make sure that that refreshment can be sustained. He says here, besides our comfort, we rejoiced. This refreshment includes rejoicing. Paul's rejoicing. Titus is rejoicing. Think about that. Titus is the intermediate guy. Who wants to bear the letter and give it to the people, right? That are the offenders. Who wants to go through that? Right? But then when he gives them the letter, right, they respond. It causes Titus to rejoice because they're already rejoicing because they're wanting to be restored in the sight of God to Paul. They responded to truth, whether inspired letter or whether by a spirit-filled person in a severe letter. They're responding to truth. This is it. Truth and obedience. In the sight of God, identity, truth, and obedience, assumed growth. People responding to what thus saith the Lord. God had used Paul's first letter, and it was inspired truth and it influenced their hearts, and God has used the second loving admonition from Paul, principled in truth, but not inspired to bring change to their lives as well. And God's people do respond to truth. They're compelled by God's grace to do so in relationship to relationships. I'm going to read that sentence again. Not because it's God's word, because I think it's just pretty good. <laughs> For me, right? God's people do respond to truth. Did you hear what I just said? God's people do respond to truth. Whether they're convicted to say no to it or not, they're hearing it, and they've got to make a response to it if they're born again, right? They're compelled by God's grace to do so in relationship to relationships. John says, I have no greater joy than to find my children walking in truth. James says in chapter 1 and verse 25, that God's people hear the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, and they not only hear it, but they what? They do it, and then they find their way blessed as far as their deeds go. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, our same author that wrote 2 Corinthians for this reason, we also constantly thank God that you, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, <clears throat> you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Go with me to John 17, and let's look at Jesus' high priestly prayer as we head efficiently to our close this morning. Because our third point will not be as long as our first two for good reason because I don't want to talk long about the humanity side of things it's an easy it's an easy catch and we'll talk about that okay remember how the word of God 
this truth develops, right? Refreshment, right? Which compels us to unity. We see the unity forming here between the offended, the offender, the intermediate. All these things are wonderful. What does Jesus pray in his high priestly prayer for people like you and me that would live in the church age? As Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of this world, but to keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Now look at the fruit. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be what? One. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, here's the cause. Remember I said the real purpose for human relationship and restoration, Christian human relationship and restoration is what? To get back to the cause. That the world may believe that you sent me. Christ's whole purpose of spiritual refreshment underpinned by the effectual use and application of the word of God, which leads to obedience, was so that there would be a maintenance of Christian restoration unto gospel perpetuation. It's always been that way in the New Testament. Jesus prayed for it. Even, even tightening by his grace, our, our, even, even, even sharpening, should I say, our focus of why we're here anyway. The world is all about relationships and, and making sure that people stay together and, and they're all about team, right? You see that in sports, right? You see that in the business world, right? You see that in the medical world. Right? People best function as teams, not as lone rangers, right? I mean, what would the Green Bay Packers be without the cheeseheads, right? I mean, they're the, they're the 12th man in the stands wearing their cheeseheads hats, right? And where would the players be without them, right? Everyone knows. Where would the Pittsburgh Steelers be without people waving terrible towels, right? They're all team. They're all considered team. Right? Where would the Browns be without the dog pound? How different was it last year when stadiums were empty and none of that existed? It wasn't right, right? Everyone on the human level knows how important team is. One of my son's teams, it's, it's all about brotherhood. You, you can't be here unless you're part of the brotherhood. We can't exist well on the field without a tight bond of of irresistible relationship. How much more for God's people? And that bond is in Christ, and it's, it's an eternal one, not just a temporal one. And it's for a cause. It's just not about a game. It's just not about a diagnosis. It's just, it's just not about a corporate ladder that you're climbing. It's just not about an undefeated schedule. It's not about a ring in a Super Bowl. It's about a cause. And Jesus died for that cause. Amen. So certainly he wants relationships maintenance so that they can enjoy the cause together. When we simply make it about keeping our marriage together or keeping our relationship with our kids together and keeping our relationships with our boyfriends or girlfriends together, those can be mere human distractions. Satan would love us to get distracted just to maintenancing the virtue of human relationship. If he can do that then he, and distract us away from why we need healthy Christian human relationships, Satan's won. You see how twisted his mind is? He can want you to have a good marriage just for having a good marriage sake. Fail. Why do I want to have a good marriage? Because I'm married to a girl who's part of a cause. You read it in John 17. 
That your word may be used to cause refreshment, to cause restoration in relationship, maintenance of the relationship, so that the world might know through them why you sent me. Now how far is general evangelicalism in America away from ascending to that kind of thinking? So young couples, when you walk an aisle and you say I do to one another someday, praise God for that. Marriage is God's institution. You're his gift to one another. Unto what cause? When you rejoice and God gives you a child and that first little one comes into the world and all the glories and agonies of rearing a child, let alone five or six. What's the cause? I'm telling you, when parents lose sight of the cause, when couples lose sight of the cause, at the expense of just maintenancing their relationships, their relationships are destroyed or in the process of being destroyed. We must live for something in our relationships that's much bigger than any one of us in our homes and our existence. And that's the cause of Jesus Christ in this world together. Verse 16. I rejoice that in everything I have, under that word confidence, this is our last one, the Greek word actually means courage. This is the human side. Relationships restored and all about the cause, right? No courage. Literally means to be bold, And its most literal understanding is to dare. To be daring. Right? This is a relationship that's so strong. This is a relationship that knows identity, growth, and humanity. And now the humanity can be undistracted by its fallen emotions and can get back to cause and actually step out and be a little daring in that cause. Wow, how much can we advance the gospel of God together? How much can we pray about that? How much can we do that together? I'm just telling you, human relationships restored in a godly way underpinned by these six or seven virtues is what? It's very daring. What does Satan not want? Satan doesn't want relationships unto a cause, let alone this many people together for a cause. Look out, man. For Christ, we're going to make a little dent in this old world. Let's go. That's exactly what he's saying. I rejoice that in everything, I'm stepping out now. We could be daring. We could be confident, courageous. Paul's saying, I'm going to continue my evangelistic work. And it's worth it. The risk in this evangelistic work, work is worth it. And he's saying, you have dared to trust me. I'm daring to trust you as we dare to go together out into this world for Christ's sake. But relationships must be established and maintained if gospel work is to move forward. Let's be courageous together. And I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, and I'll continue to say it. By God's grace, at grace, I think you, you all have done just a really good job of maintenancing your relationships. Right, this, this concludes the first section of three of the book of 2 Corinthians. The next section is chapters 8 and 9. And by the way, the first the way they, they, they move into the end of chapter 7 with relationships is so critical to chapters 8 and 9, which have been taught out of context for years as exclusively about giving. And they're not. It's not about exclusively giving. It's just the second section. It's about cause. And then the final section would be chapters 10 to 13. But these are virtues 
that must be lived out in human relationship because God has chosen us to have this treasure in our earthen vessels. This Christ and his cause to do together all by his grace. And at Grace Church, by God's grace, I think you've maintenanced your relationships well. But I want to remind you of this too, that there's no perfectionism being taught here by Paul because we're going to go on and even find out later in the letter that there was still an unbelieving remnant in the church that needed to be dealt with. But that unbelieving remnant was no longer affecting the believers because the restoration had been made. So there's no perfectionism here we're trying to achieve. Unbelief will probably always exist in some form in every church. But God's grace is greater than the negative effects of unbelief. And because you're maintenance your relationships well by God's grace, I really believe that's why God's being pleased to use this church in gospel advancement. Honestly, I really do. Baptism testimonies last week, that's all God's grace. That's God working through your earthen vessel. Right? People reached as a result of this church. People reached because of the church planting that we're trying to do and networking. It's all about gospel advancement. And my goodness, the relationship restoration is worth it. If the gospel can be advanced, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth the fight. It's worth the cause. It's worth the dare. It's exciting. So keep up the good work. And let's make sure that we take these virtues that we've seen here and, and live them until Christ comes for Christ's cause. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the simplicity of your word. I trust, Lord, it was explained and applied appropriately and help us, Lord, to continue by your grace to maintenance our relationships based first on who we are in Christ, assumed growth so that we can courageously move forward together for gospel cause. In Christ's name we pray, amen.